There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Okay, Ron, we're recording. <laughs> all right. Sounds like a winner to me, man. Yeah, this is the way all podcasts should start. Hey, hey. welcome. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Paranoia Podcast. I'm Ron Patton, your editor-in-chief, and we also have with us... Olaf Phillips, I'm the publisher, and I write. Right on, brother. So, Ron, um, there's a there's an MK Ultra program that I came across the other day that I, uh, I personally find rather fascinating, and I thought we could have a, a chit-chat about that. Why, let's go for it, man. It's uh, so it must be one of the uh, 149 sub projects of MK Ultra. Yes. Cool. What's <laughs> it called? Pregnant What's it called? <laughs> I'm curious. I really want to know. Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> wow, that is trippy, man. That and, is, I'm tripping already. Well, and and you know, you know what got me thinking about Operation Midnight Climax? What? How? Tell me about it. So, you may or may not know this. I don't know that it's really that germane to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of family that lives in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we we made a, a we made a trip out there. Yes. And my my great aunt lives on a lake out in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and the guy who lived across the street from her, he's a farmer. Yes. And he grows beets, and I love beets. Right. Beet salad is like the best thing ever, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, beets are really good for you too. They are, and beet sugar is really good. Like in the Midwest, they yeah, don't, they don't use like sugar cane sugar; they use beet sugar. Right? Huh? Yeah, maybe one one of our our ten listeners actually lives in the Midwest and can attest to this. Right on. Yeah. Well, anyway, so he has a big farm and he grows beets. Uh huh. And and he was saying that that they have this really funny shirt about the town that he that he farms near and i said oh what's the name of the town that you know that, that you live near and he says well i live near climax minnesota whoa and i'm at climax minnesota and he goes climax minnesota and so he got me a shirt mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the shirt says it's more than just a feeling <laughs> <laughs> Climax Minnesota. It says it's more than just a feeling, Climax Minnesota. And then it has like the water tower and like the four buildings in the town. <laughs> wow. That's trippy. It is. So did you have an opportunity to go there at all or? No, I have never been to okay. Climax Minnesota. No. No, someday I will get there. And experience the climatic. Uh, the climactic, climactic feelings there of you Climax go. Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been to Alexandria. I've seen uh-huh. I've seen the uh, the Rune Stone. Mm-hmm. You know I've yeah I mean I I've been to uh, different places. I've seen the Paul Bunyan stuff and mm-hmm. yeah yeah no I've been all over up there. But I saw Climax and I'm like oh Operation Midnight Climax one of my favorite MK Ultra stories. Why? I mean because it's completely fucked up. <laughs> That's true. It is. That is true. Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, most of the sub-projects of MKUltra were pretty fucked up. But uh, That's true. That's true. we had to do it for national security. Yeah, and, right? and, and after a little conversation about Midnight Climax, our, our dear listeners will wonder how this really uh, plays into national, <laughs> national security. So, so, Ron, why don't you paint us a picture of... Of the 1950s and the CIA. 
Well, you know, back in the 1950s, actually that was sort of the, uh, especially in the early 50s, around 53 is when MK Ultra was pretty much in full swing and you had uh, Project uh, or Operation Artichoke going and uh, Alan Dulles, he was the uh, director of the CIA, although uh, the real brains behind the CIA at that time was... Uh, Reinhard Gellin. But, uh, yeah, so they started uh, getting involved in, in uh, using a lot of different types of drugs and, and truth serums because, you know, back at that time we were uh, uh, sort of uh, at the beginning of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And the Soviets at the time were really involved in uh, various types of forms of brainwashing or mind control, and they were using a lot of different types of drugs. And so in order to kind of keep up with the, the Soviets, we also had to sort of uh, get involved in, in that as well. And uh, so it just so happened that LSD was one of the so-called original truth serums, although, uh, you know, they used it for probably about 20 years and supposedly they just they came to the realization that well probably didn't work quite as well as we wanted to but you know i i always question that you know they they also said that about uh you know sort of their sleeper assassin type programs like well we really couldn't do anything with that and it just all that hypnosis and drugs and electroshock really never worked as planned but uh, in my opinion, it worked very well. So it was just a way to sort of uh, be in denial or, or to mitigate the the real the reality of MK Ultra. Well, and uh, well, for for not working well, I mean they they kept doing it. Yeah, interestingly, they kept doing it. But uh, yeah, from my understanding, though, uh, Operation uh, really the Operation Midnight Climax. Kind of started what in the uh, early '60s. Well, actually, I think it started in the late '50s. Oh, okay. Yeah, under full swing of the whole MK Ultra thing, and mm -hmm. they, basically what the CIA decided was that they needed a new and exciting way to test LSD. Mm -hmm. And you know, prior to that, uh, Frank Olson, one of the guys who had been one of the original project scientists on the LSD programs. You know, he, he decided one day to take some LSD. I know mm -hmm. this is a little tangential, but it tells you kind of sets the mood. Right. He he, did, he, uh, he spiked his drink with some LSD, and uh, he jumped out a window. Yeah, allegedly, yeah. right? Al allegedly. Um, but Midnight Climax was in a sub-project of Ultra, and basically what they decided was that they wanted to test LSD as an interrogation, uh, interrogation mm -hmm. truth serum. And... Mm -hmm. So what they did is they decided that the best way to test this would be to create brothels. Mm -hmm. And so they created three brothels, uh, one in Marin, one in San Francisco, and I believe one in New York. Right. That's correct. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the hookers were on the CIA payroll. Mm -hmm. They were completely paid. I guess tips were theirs. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. So what they would do is that they would approach John's bring them into the safe house and dose their water with LSD. And then there was a, uh, a one way, there was a, like a see-through mirror and the CIA operations guys would sit behind the mirror and film the interaction mm -hmm. and then make notes. Right. And so I guess, uh, one of the things that they would do is that while the guy was tripping, the John was tripping, assuming mm -hmm. it was a guy, mm -hmm. um, while the, the John is tripping, then they would start to ask them questions to see if they could do some low-level interrogation. Right. Now, at, at the time, it's my understanding that the San Francisco Police Department and the police departments of Marin and New York were aware, but they were very patriotic and they wanted to help the CIA to... Sure to test this so they they turned a blind eye mm -hmm. now i believe in the sam i don't know about marin or san or new york 
but I believe in San Francisco during the almost ten, I think it ran almost five or ten years. The amount of time that it ran, there were only two fatalities. Mm-hmm. And in one case, uh, a guy tripped out and he jumped out the window. Mm-hmm. He really did jump out the window. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't pushed. Yeah, he wasn't forced. No, right. no, no. Okay. No. And forced all, yeah. That's a that's a different podcast, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot it a lot, a lot involved of, in that particular uh, case. Well, there's a let's just say there's a lot of jumping out of windows and people mm-hmm. who are right-handed shooting themselves with the left hand. Twice in the back of the head. In the back of the head, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, we digress. So over time, they they kept doing this and doing this and making notes and and doing more interrogation, but the the results were less than uh, useful. Right. So at some point, they decided to change because the guy who was running the brothel, at least in San Francisco, was a bit of a a kinky guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was into uh, into BDSM. Uh, that's bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Uh, mm-hmm. People who like to tie each other up and and do things of that kind. Right. <clears throat> and he he was a bit into that, and he noticed over time that the some of the Johns that were coming in um, were requesting those kinds of services, either to be whipped or to be humiliated or, mm-hmm. you know, something that along those lines. Right. And I actually uh, read something uh, a while back about when the, the Johns actually went into these rooms, there were photos of women in bondage. I guess that was sort of a way to sort of like tantalize them or to entice them a little bit more. Well, eventually there were. <laughs> Right, but originally I think there was actually a bunch of uh, art from Toulouse Lautrec. Mm-hmm. Right, the French guy. Yeah, the French guy. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, eventually they when they they kind of changed the methodology, and at some point they actually stopped dosing them with LSD mm-hmm. and turned it into a bit of a dungeon. Right. And so the guy sitting, this guy sitting behind the the mirror, mm-hmm. watching this, and and of course he's only taking notes. Yeah, right. Right. And he started to take notes, and he did a a very thorough analysis of the interaction mm-hmm. between the prostitutes and the clients, and actually used that to write a manual mm-hmm. on how CIA operatives, field operatives, mm-hmm. can use sex as a weapon. Ooh, Wow. So a lot of the a lot of the kinkier stuff that he was seeing, uh, mm-hmm. not only was you know was interesting to him on a sexual level, right. So you know our government tax dollars paid for that, hmm. but also um, he used it to write a manual on how to do things like what's called the honeypot trap. Mm-hmm. You know where you you get a really uh, really beautiful woman, yes, and she approaches a guy who has information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she sleeps with them. Oh yeah, and then blackmails them. Yeah, well, a lot of the uh, allegedly a lot of the Project Monarch uh, women or sex slaves uh, were involved in that type of operation as being honeypots. And I, I've spoken to quite a few of them, and you know they recall uh, spiking guys' drinks, and uh, then uh, you know also be a- being able to. Uh, you know, do a certain amount of interrogation. And from my understanding, they said they didn't even necessarily have to have tape recorders or any type of bugging devices because the allegedly the, the monarch women were like human tape recorders. So basically, if they were um, sort of activated or triggered, you know, after the, the meeting or whatever, they could pretty much verbatim recite everything that was discussed um don't know if that's true but i've heard it from you know several different uh mk ultra slash monarch survivors now one i did find an interesting quote Mm -hmm. and it comes from james ketchum right from his book chemical warfare secrets almost forgotten 
Now he was the wasn't he the doctor at Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland? I believe he was. Yeah. So he said they launched into reckless experimentation without close medical supervision. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say moral issues were considered minor if greater national security could be obtained. Right. And I think that when you look at Ultra, that that that's really kind of the methodology that they use to justify it. Mm -hmm. he, he actually went on to say that the bridge between conscious and drug effects has yet to be crossed, and mm -hmm. I don't know if it ever will be. There is no truth right. serum. So the end result, supposedly, of all these tests right. was negative, that they, they ended up figuring out that LSD couldn't be used for this stuff. But right, but they kept, I mean, they kept doing it. I know that's the strange thing, and and for so many years, but uh, you know, I I don't know all the different drugs. I know that uh, Jan Irvin, I believe from uh, was it GnosticMedia.com, has a lot of really good information on that type of stuff uh, in regard to the various types of truth serums that were eventually developed. But it's it's really interesting how. The CIA, or when they actually declassified MK Ultra back around 1977, said, "Well, we tried this and we tried that, and well, we just came to the realization that it just didn't work." But I mean, I think that's all bullshit, honestly, and uh, because there were so many things that they were able to attain, and again, there's a lot of testimony from uh, people from the DIA and even the CIA that said, "Oh, yeah." A lot of that stuff worked very well. Well, you know, the, the other thing that, that kind of caught my attention, because, you know, living in the greater San Francisco metropolitan area, you know, mm -hmm. I find Midnight Climax fascinating, not only right. because it's, on the surface of it, it's a CIA, uh -huh. government-funded, CIA-administered whorehouse. Right. You know, and there were two of them here. I mean, there was one in Marin as well. And by the way, if you ever want to find it, the original uh, Midnight Climax um, safe house was mm -hmm. off uh, Telegraph Hill. And that's in San Francisco, correct? Yeah, it's in downtown San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And now, where in Marin was it? Uh, I have an interesting story about Marin. That's why. I don't know. I am trying to figure that out. So I am going to ask our listeners... All okay. ten, all ten of them. That's right. A, that's a joke. I think we have twelve now, actually. Oh, we have twelve. Oh, Lori's we listening. Have, so we have a paranoia 12. dozen right now. <laughs> it's not a baker's dozen. We need no, thirteen. Par paranoia dozen. But I've been unable to figure out where the one in Marin was, and I'm trying to figure it out. Well, I'm going to tell you something, if you don't mind. Uh, Please. Well. Uh, let's see, when was it? I guess it was in 81. I went to my friend's, uh, right after I graduated from college, I went to my friend's house in Corte Madera, California, which is in Marin County. I used to work there. Interesting, yeah. And uh, he said, hey, Ron, you want to take some acid? And I go, oh, I don't know about that. You know, it's like I was a little, you know. <laughs> Hesitant, reticent. Paranoid? Goes, oh, yeah. And he goes, no, this is the best stuff. He goes, this guy makes the best acid in the United States. And he lives here in Marin County. And I go, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah. So I, I succumbed to the pressure, and I actually took LSD from Marin County. You are uh, a terrible uh, person, Ron. Am I? Really? Well, you know what's interesting is that I was reading a book, uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, mm -hmm. which talks about the connections between military intelligence and um, hippie culture. Uh -huh. And it's a fascinating book. It's really crazy. I mean, the, the connections there are, are insane, to say the least. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, Jim Morrison's dad was an admiral. Uh -huh. His fleet of ships that he was responsible for just happened to be the fleet of ships that were right. responsible for the Tonkin Gulf incident. Right. All the weird synchronicities with a lot of people who were in the uh, pop culture back in the 60s. And uh, what, what about, like, um, Grace Slick? Wasn't her parents involved in something, too? Well, it turns out that most of the people um, 
in the in the early '60s that were kind of forming the hippie culture. Yes, a lot of them were military brats. A lot, yeah. of the, a lot of yeah. their parents were military intelligence, or or yeah, in intel, either FBI or CIA, from my understanding. The, yeah, it's it's nuts. Yeah, Alex Constantine actually wrote about that um, in one of his books. Um, he wrote uh, "Psychic Dictatorship Over America." And I forgot the name of the other book, but uh, he actually uh, pointed that out when he uh, when he was really into writing about CIA mind control back in the nineties. Well, what what I found really interesting is that there was a guy from Marin who was originally making LSD for the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. and this guy was like the chemist, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. I don't remember his name offhand, but he was like the the chemist to know. And supposedly he made something in the neighborhood of 150,000 doses of acid. Mm-hmm. And he distributed most of them for free right. to these hippies. And I just mm-hmm. I find it fascinating because the other thing that I came across in that book was a reference to a sub another subproject that was run out of Vacaville. Because for our listeners may not know this, but Vacaville is a town probably 30 minutes from San Francisco, 45 minutes, something like that. I know. I, I drive through that every time I see you. I drive right by there. That's right. And there there are two things that are interesting about Vacaville. One is that there's a jail that is for people who are mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, 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 a mental hospital there. So there's right. a prison with a mental hospital. In mm-hmm. a mental hospital. Right. And I, I haven't done a lot of research on it yet, but apparently uh, Ultra was was very busy in Vacaville. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have this kind of conjunction of events that you've got an actively running CIA brothel in Marin. Mm-hmm. You have the, the lead chemist, the top chemist in the world, manufacturing this stuff. And he didn't work for Bayer or... For any of the pharmaceutical companies, I mean, he no. was making this stuff on his own, so right? And he, he was like the uh, sound guy, I think, for uh, the Grateful Dead too. He was the audio engineer for the Grateful right. Dead and one of the roadies. Mm-hmm. So he's an LSD chemist, an audio engineer, and a roadie. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of hats, Ron. That is true. That is but you lot. know, you know, back at the time though, LSD was still legal i mean it wasn't illegal at the time uh, i think it was until 1967 or 68 where it was actually illegal so you know i he was busted a few times because i think they were trying to uh pin him on uh methamphetamine manufacturing but it was lsd so they had released him but what i find fascinating is that you've got these mental institutions in vacaville Right. That's spitting distance to Marin. Mm-hmm. Ultra is active in the mental institutions. One yes. of the top guys in the manufacturers LSD in the world is uh-huh. in Marin. There's uh-huh. an Operation Midnight Climax uh, facility in Marin. There's uh-huh. one in San Francisco, which is another like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have this triangulation of Ultra. Yes. And I've never, I never, I never knew that. I never knew right. that that that. And, by the way, just in case you're interested, that on that road that you drive to get from Vacaville to Marin, mm-hmm. it's a lonely road, man. You, you go past, like, Mare Island. Mare Island was a Navy base. It was a, a dry dock. They did mm-hmm. a lot of, like, submarine work. Like, they'd repair subs. Right. Well, the road that goes out there goes into a, a marsh. That on, mm-hmm. <clears throat> on both sides of the road, it's a marsh. Then you can kind of see the the bay in the distance, mm-hmm. but buried in that marsh was a top secret uh, communications facility. Right. There was like a listening post was actually buried in that marsh. Mm-hmm. So now you've got vac you've got Travis right, which was military airlift command. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how pe- you know people in the government move things. They go to the Air Force and the Air Force. A massive Air Force Military Airlift Command base is in Travis. Five minutes away in Vacaville, you've got two mental institutions where they're running MK Ultra. Then you drive down the road 
right? You've got a listening, mm-hmm. you've got this listening post that nobody knows exactly what they did. Right. Then you keep driving down the road. You get to a place where you've got another midnight climax brothel mm-hmm. with CIA paid prostitutes. I want to stress that CIA mm-hmm. paid prostitutes. Right. And the guy who makes LSD. Keep yeah. going on that road for another ten minutes, and you're in San Francisco. Right. And now you've got more more midnight climax mm-hmm. operations, and then you have a bunch of other whacked out things that that many people believe are related to ultra, like the hippie right. subculture, right. like Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all these things active within a within a stretch of say twenty miles. Right. Now, what about uh, Stanford Research Institute and Lawrence Livermore Labs? Uh, from my understanding, they may have been involved in some MKUltra stuff as well. Well, I'm pretty sure SRI was, the Stanford mm-hmm. Research Institute. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another 20 minutes down the peninsula. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Livermore, I think, was... I've always been under the impression that Livermore was mostly bomb makers. Right. That they design uh, nuclear weapons and lasers. Right. Yeah, for the most part. But it always seems like there's like a parallel type of uh, operations that go on as well. Um, so I'll have to look more into that. But I believe that in some of the MK Ultra material that I found years ago, Lawrence Livermore Labs was also uh, cited. Well, it, it wouldn't surprise me because, I mean, you have a government installation. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have all kinds of people in there. Right. Well, and, and that's what they needed. They needed something that was extremely secure and had very, you know, tight uh, top secret clearance. Well, and also underground. There are quite a few underground installations, too. Well, the other interesting thing is that as you're crossing the San Mateo Bridge... Mm-hmm. Right, heading out toward where Livermore is going to be. Off to the right, another mm-hmm. 10 minutes down the road, really close to Stanford, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Moffat. And mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of uh, NASA and Navy testing was done at Moffat. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's a very interesting thing at Moffat. It's, it's, very t- it's not MKUltra related. Right. But Moffat was actually home of the cube, the blue cube. The Blue Cube. What's the Blue Cube? The Blue Cube was actually, well, it was later named Onazuka Air Force Base after the guy who died in the Challenger. Okay. But the Blue Cube was basically a, a blue cube-shaped building. Mm-hmm. And for decades, nobody knew what it did. Right? Mm-hmm. And everybody would drive past it and go, well, that's odd. It's just a blue building. Well, it was it was actually shut down later, and they, they moved operations out to Colorado Springs, I think. But the Blue Cube was actually, uh, they controlled most of the surveillance satellites for the mm-hmm. United States military. Right. And so it was an NRO facility, a National Reconnaissance Organization facility. And so a lot of, a lot of the spy satellites and uh, miscellaneous things that we did with satellites was all controlled out of the... Onizuka Air Force Base. Interesting. Yeah, so it just seems like that's a real hub for a lot of uh, covert, deep op, black op type stuff. Well, you know, the other thing that's odd about here in the greater Bay Area mm-hmm. is that at various times of the year, well, just at various times period, you can see high lights going across the sky from east to west. Mm-hmm. Or from from uh, from kind of kind of south east north, mm-hmm. right? Or west to north, but I right. mean they're very high altitude, very very high altitude, and that's because they route all the uh, experimental aircraft. Well, not all of them, but they route some of the experimental aircraft that they're flying mm-hmm. out to the ocean. Right. They they route them over here. And and then if you go, if you go out to uh, like Woodland, which is mm-hmm. probably about ninety minutes from here, a little bit beyond Woodland is a place called Beale, mm-hmm. and Beale supposedly for years had an Aurora squadron. 
That's the rumor. Is that the Beal was? It was an SR seven. It started as a U two base. Mm-hmm. Then it became a SR seventy one base. And when the SR seventy one was decommissioned, wow. then supposedly they were running, they were running uh, Auroras out of there. Interesting. And I actually got a fascinating phone call when I was just a little conspiracy researcher. Mm-hmm. I was going to UC Davis at the time. And I had an unlisted telephone number, okay? Right. And, you know, I wasn't very old. I was maybe 20, mm-hmm. right? I just built my first website. I was kind of just getting into the conspiracy thing. And at that time, I was more fixated with UFOs. Right. Because back then, I thought everything was aliens. I, I just, mm-hmm. everything's aliens, man. Weird light in the sky. Or could it be angels? <laughs> You know, it could be <laughs> hyperdimensional beings. No, no, folks. It's no, me. no. There's it's a people. guy. There's a, a re- late night uh, radio guy who always says, "Could it be angels?" <laughs> so I'm sort of like parodying that. Sorry. Well, the only late night radio guy that I know is Clyde Lewis of Ground Zero Radio. Well, who's worth mentioning anyway? Yeah. Well, actually, there there is a guy. There's a guy called the Spaceman mm-hmm. from Canada. Right. His show is insane. I heard. Yes. Heard. It's crazy. Well, anyway, so I'm I'm laying in bed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I was I had stayed up late on a Friday because I'm a college student, and that's what college students do. Right. And I'm sleeping, and my wife is sleeping next to me. Mm-hmm. I have a wife. Cool. And, yeah, it's that's a good thing, right? Yeah. I'm going to have one, too, soon. So there you go. And the phone rings. Why? Now, this was a long time ago. This was before cell phones. And, you know, mm-hmm. I had a pager because I had a, like, uh-huh. a home home business where I uh-huh. had websites and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I had a pager. And that was a big deal. Right. High but tech, man. I, dude, I was on the edge, man. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first people to get digital cable. Aye, aye, aye. I know. Anyway... I'm laying in bed, and the phone mm-hmm. rings. Right. And I kind of roll over and pick the phone up, and my wife continues to, she's asleep, she's kind of groggy. I'm groggy and go, hello? And this this guy says, is this Olaf Phillips? And I said, uh-huh. Because, you know, I'm half asleep, right? I'm like, uh-huh. He says, you have a website called the S4 Database? I said, yeah. He goes, I have information for you. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. I'm asleep, right? I'm all, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? And the guy says, they're they're running UFO tests out of Beale. I'm like, okay. I'm not really processing, all right? And the guy says, I know the schedule. I can take you out there and show you. And I'm like, that sounds awesome, dude. And I'm thinking, can I go back to bed now? And the guy says, okay, I'll call you back, and, and we'll work something out. I'll take you up there, and I'll show you. You'll be shocked. It'll, you know, it'll be interesting. And I'm like, okay. And so then I go back to sleep, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. how this goes, right? Call me at 8 in the morning at, when I'm 20 in college, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be, like, there. I'm on autopilot. Of course, right. right. Makes sense. So my wife rolls over. And she says, so who was that? And she's crying, who was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She's like, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know, some guy. And she's like, right. some guy called our house. And she's becoming more awake very quickly. Right. Some guy called our house at, on Saturday. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, he called our house on Saturday. She goes, what time is it? And it was like 8.02. Mm-hmm. And I. I, I figured out over time that the guy was on the phone for like 45 seconds, mm-hmm. which I think is about the amount of time you need to like trace it. Mm-hmm. And so he knew just when to hang up or to exactly. and cease the conversation. Right. And he was very abrupt. It was like, I'll call you later. Gotcha. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. And so she's like, well, what did he want? I said, I don't know. He, he thinks he knows where there's UFOs, and he wants to take me out there and show me some UFOs flying around or whatever. 
she's like, excuse me? And she's wide awake, and I'm groggy. She's like, excuse me? He called us at 8 in the morning to, to invite you to go wa UFO watching? And I'm like, yeah, I'm becoming more awake. She goes, how did he get our number? I said, <laughs> I don't know. She goes, did you post it on the website, you idiot? I'm like, no. She's like, isn't our number unlisted? I'm like, I think so. She goes, it's unlisted. I said, it should be. <laughs> and she goes, then how do you get our goddamn phone number? Right. I said, uh, uh, I'm wide awake now. Right. But, uh, uh, okay. Sure. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing anything. The guy called me eight in the morning to invite me to go see UFOs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Can, can I tell you the, can I tell you a side note to that story? Sure. Go for it, buddy. Never called me back. Oh, okay. But I did convince her it was unlisted. And I showed her the website didn't have my phone number on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this this whole area, I know it's a little outside of Midnight Climax, but, the, you know, one of the things that I like about, you know, our, our podcast is, you know, we're, we're having a conversation. And, right. And, you know, things lead We can things. take, we can go off on tangents. It's okay. It is because, okay. Because we can all draw it back to the original topic. And that is, let me tell you, it's UFOs on LSD by the CIA. Yes. That was our topic, right? That, that, that land at Stanford <laughs> and drive in, in unmarked black cars to Livermore. There you go. We got it. So, yeah. So, there you go. There you go. But, you know, also interesting is that when I was at Davis, I, I came to find out that that's the Dixon, a small town adjacent to to Davis, mm -hmm. uh, back in the eighties, right. had had a very high number of cattle mutilations. Hmm. I mean, a lot of cattle mutilations, right? Which nobody has ever been able to adequately explain whether <sighs> aliens did it or <sighs> people did it. Nobody knows, but mm -hmm. there were a lot of them there. Mm -hmm. And and there have been a lot of UFO sightings in Dixon, of which I I had one. Right. Um, but also interesting that adjacent to Dixon is a a radio tower, and it took me years to figure out who owned that tower because it's just like in the middle of a field. Right. It's like corn, 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 radio mast. Mm -hmm. Turns out it was owned by the U.S. Navy. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So, so you know, and, and, and to make it worse, along the ridge line uh, down by San Jose, it's gone now. I mean, all this stuff's gone now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, our, our, uh, our congressional leadership of our state, uh, for my area, decided in the 90s that when they were shutting down military bases mm -hmm. that they should shut down every military base we had. Right. And so, you know, all this stuff's gone now. Onizuka's still there, but it's not a military base. I think Google or somebody bought it. Right. But down the road a little bit, up on, and you used to be able to see it from the freeway, but the the dome has collapsed. But mm -hmm. It was actually one of the, one of the, um, the dew line radio t or uh, radar domes mm -hmm. and this whole place is ringed by nike sites back in the 50s and the 60s right you're talking about the dixon area dixon Davis. no not not that far but the bay okay. area itself right was okay. completely encircled by nike sites mm -hmm. in fact there's a there's a lovely island in the bay that people like to go and have picnics on called angel island and you get there, by the way, from Marin County. You have to go from, like, Sausalito. Well, <clears throat> or Tiburon. Well, on Angel Island, in this island, in the, middle of the, in the middle of the bay, supposedly, I've never seen it, I couldn't find it, but supposedly there's a Nike site. So it's like, 
you know, it's very odd. You, you and, know. and those aren't the uh, athletic shoes, right? No, they're not the athletic shoes. Okay. No, they were Nike Nike Zeus multi-stage gotcha. anti-aircraft missiles. Okay. Just want to get that straight. We actually have one that's still operational that some guys mm-hmm. went in in the Marin head in the Marin headlands, and mm-hmm. they refurbed it. So you can actually go out there now, right? And take tours, and they they you know once a year like they raise the missile up and spin it around and whatever. But what's interesting is that you know if you step back for a minute to bring it all back together, mm-hmm. if you step back for a minute. Right, we've got Livermore, Lawrence Livermore, Lawrence Berkeley, yes. right? And, and Lawrence Berkeley's interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. supposedly they have a nuclear reactor, and they mm-hmm. do like nuclear research in a nuclear free zone, in the People's Republic of Berkeley. And so you have you have Livermore, Berkeley, you've got Stanford, you've got SRI, yep. you've got Midnight Climax in San Francisco, Marin, mm-hmm. you've got Ultra running out of Vacaville. Right. You've got, you know, you've got secret listening posts, hidden transmitters, you know, radar towers, missiles everywhere, and dozens of military bases in a in a twenty square mile space. Right. Doesn't that strike you as a bit odd? Very much so. Well, you know, we were talking about Vacaville. They have both the hospital and the uh, prison there. And we were talking earlier today about uh, Jim Jones and uh, how he was able to actually sort of, for I don't know how he did it, but he was able to get a lot of the people from both the, uh, the prison and from the uh, mental institution there to go to Jonestown in Guyana. And so... And essentially, Jonestown was just a continuation of some of the human experimentation that they were doing, you know, in Vacaville, but doing it in a more uh, sort of a restrictive type test model. And we know what happened, uh, you know, what was the uh, result with Jonestown. So just really crazy stuff. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Davis, right? So that's sort of in the area. Oh, it's where my story was set. Right. Well, interestingly, uh, a lot of the, you know, we've talked about electronic harassment, right, in the past. And some of the first uh, individuals who came out with being victims of electronic harassment came from Davis. And uh, people like Rod Orr, uh, Marianne Stratton, and uh, a woman by the name of Cheryl Welsh, uh, Mike Duffy, I think they were all from that general area. And uh, so just just crazy, you know, (laughs) some of the stuff that you brought up and some of the stuff that I know about Davis um, it's just weird and I'm just kind of wondering why is there like this epicenter of all these like covert operations like Operation Midnight Climax electronic harassment uh, and all these type of high tech uh, UFO type stuff What's going on, buddy? Why is it sort of like centered in that area? You know, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've spent years trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because there, you know, there, there was a, there's a lot of covert operations and covert stuff that has taken place here. Right. You know? I mean, and, and, and another thing we had not far from where I live was a, a munitions facility called the Concord Naval Weapons Station. And, oh, okay. And the Concord Naval Weapons Station for for years, you know, everybody was fairly convinced that there were nuclear weapons stockpiled there. You know, there mm-hmm. was never any proof. I mean, it's not like somebody, you know, had a manifest that's all big nuclear weapon. Right. Store right. in bunker four. Mm-hmm. You know, but they had they had trains that would come in and go out constantly bringing more munitions and mm-hmm. moving munitions around. But there were constant 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 stories that there are nuclear weapons there was that a helicopter in the background that is a helicopter i think see look 
Oh, I bet you it's a black helicopter, too. Well, let me go check. Go check it out, buddy. I'm pretty sure it sounds like a black helicopter. Hang on a second. Okay. I'll be right here. You can seriously hear it? I can hear it, dude. I can hear a, a freaking helicopter. I think it's Reach. We have we have two we have two uh, near where I live. We have an airport, and we actually have two. Um, okay. Emergency medevac helicopters. We have Reach. Yeah. And Star. Well, maybe it's not a black helicopter after all. <laughs> aren't, isn't Paranoia going to publish some book about a helicopter? Or yes. Black helicopters. Yes, we're going to publish black helicopters over America. Uh, is yes. that by Jim Keith? That is by Jim Keith. We're getting there. Good. You know, one of the things that I have to tell people, you know, about paranoia is that, you know, we're a small operation and, mm -hmm. you know, we, we do things as fast as we can, but mm -hmm. so, sometimes we're kind of slow. Well, we have like real jobs. I mean, the, the paranoia is, is a passion. And, uh, so it just seems like it might be slow for, I know a lot of people want to subscribe to paranoia and I think that's going to come about at some point in time. Very soon. But, uh, you know, paranoia is still going strong. And I think it's really important that you, as the leader of paranoia, and myself, because, you know, I used, we're both writers for paranoia. We've written for them. Really spread the good news of paranoia to the four corners of the earth. Yeah, I mean that's why we wanted to have the podcast. You know, one of the, one of the things just to to be to be tangential here for a minute. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to have the podcast, and I, I came to you mm -hmm. and I said, "Hey, Ron, let's do a podcast." And you're like, oh, "Okay, right. yeah, let's sure. do it." Sure, yeah. sounds good. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to do it is that you know, in my life, I kept getting questions and was like, "Well, what is MK Ultra? What is Project Artichoke?" Mm -hmm. What is Project Azorian? What is Harp? What is this? What is what is mm -hmm. Men in Black? What is you know? Right. And it and it seems to me that you know there there was a time after the early night you know the early nineties was like the pinnacle of paranoia and steam shovel press and you know covert action nexus and, right you know there was a time when all these zines and magazines were being published right and there were all these books coming out and it was like a like the pinnacle of, of conspiracy literature. And then one day in the 2000s, it all died. Yeah. Weird, huh? Yeah. And, it, and it's like everything ended. The problem is, is that in the 2000s, you had things like the X-Files and the Lone Gunman. Hey, Dean Hagelin, mm -hmm. you know, we love the Lone Gunman. Right. Um, but, you know, a lot of these shows like Dark Skies and, and these shows started to the come Pretender. out. The Pretender, your favorite. Yes, it's my favorite show. And a, a lot of these shows started to come out and people were interested and they would learn things through the shows. You know, there would be references to things like Ultra or there would be references mm -hmm. to back engineered alien or alien craft or triangles or whatever. But I don't think we did a good job as conspiracy researchers, and I was a young conspiracy researcher at the time. Right. But I don't think we did a good job of informing the public on what this stuff is. I think there's always been this kind of mentality in the conspiracy world that it's like, <clears throat> well, you should already know. Mm -hmm. Well, well, what is the Philadelphia experiment? Right. Well, you should know. Well, why should you know? Well, because Berlitz wrote a book and, you know, and Moore, my favorite guy, Berlitz and Moore wrote a book back in the, in the seventies, you know, and in the eighties about, about the Philadelphia experiment. And you're just supposed to know, mm -hmm. you know, the Guidestones, you know, you're just supposed to know, like you listen to, to conspiracy programming and they'll say agenda 21, it's all in the Guidestones. Right. population everybody's gonna die and everybody's scratching their head going well what the hell's the georgia guidestones so this this is my reaction to that i you know i'm trying to go through these things and, and make it fun and interesting and you know kind of bring everybody up to date what the hell is the georgia guidestones right i know because well, i've been there but i mean what is it to you you know well and you know we've talked about this before 
about the importance of sort of building a frame of reference or a basis of understanding of different conspiratorial topics or concepts uh, so that people have a, you know, just a better sort of perspective. Like, okay, yeah, now I can see how this all kind of fits together. And, you know, like tonight's show, we're kind of getting off on various tangents, but there's a certain type of synchronicity that goes along with a lot of these different things. And uh, uh, the way you kind of look at a lot of conspiracy type of topics is in a very almost sort of like multi-dimensional way. It's not, it's not really suited for people that are linear thinkers, but of course people that really think outside the box and that can grasp a lot of different types of uh, uh, synchronicities. So, you know, that's well, that's how it is, really. Well, look, that's we, how I look at it. We started with Midnight Climax, which is, is mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think everybody, you know, there have been some books written about Midnight Climax. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of detail in there. But that's not what we're here for. This isn't right. a show about detail. This is a show about connections. Right. There, there are many podcasts in the world, and, and you know, you'll get that podcast that will tell you every goddamn thing about Midnight Climax. Mm-hmm. But what they're not going to tell you about is Vacaville, Jim Jones. They're mm-hmm. not going to tell you about the guy in Marin who was making LST for the Grateful Dead. I mean, mm-hmm. 150,000 doses. Seriously. Right. Right. Think about that. 150,000 right. little blotters circulating mm-hmm. around the Western states made right. by some guy who's an audio engineer and roadie. Right. Well, over the Grateful Dead. And so, it, you know, uh, a lot of the different concerts that they had throughout the country, there was always lots of LSD. Tons um, of them. And then also uh, Woodstock, for instance. When was that? Like 68, 69? Right. Um, that was somewhat of a test model, uh, which was a sort of a confined area um, for dispensing LSD as well. And they already had um, agents, I guess, at a lot of the ho- outlying hospitals, you know, ready to sort of assess and analyze what was going on. So that's a, another place where they were sort of experimenting. It was sort of like sort of a Sort of like a midnight climax, but sort of like uh, I, I bet you there was some sort of covert ops through MK Ultra that had to do with concerts, right? Well, think and, about think about right. Altamont. That you right. know, when you talk about Lawrence Livermore, mm-hmm. you know, five minutes from Lawrence Livermore is a place called the Altamont Pass. Right now, today, the Altamont Pass is the bane of the existence of hundreds of thousands of people that mm-hmm. they live in in the outlying areas like Tracy and Stockton right they're trying to, to drive into work in San Jose mm-hmm. in the South Bay and they have to go over to the Altamont Pass and it's always backed up and there are you know you know trucks and the trucks are slow because of the the grade and whatever but right. what's actually interesting about the Altamont Pass you're speaking about LSD and mind control and stuff. Mm-hmm. The Rolling Stones had a concert out there uh-huh. that's extremely famous because what happened was is that they used the Hell's Angels, who are from Oakland, by the way. Right. They used the Hell's Angels as the, uh, the security for their concert. Okay? Right. And at some point, some people believe that, that Mick Jagger was actually carrying out a ritual. And there's some debate as to what song he was actually singing. Like, was it speak speak to the devil or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, there's some controversy there. If that's But supposedly he was enacting a, um, a ritual, and this guy got knifed by one of the Hell's Angels. And they actually filmed this guy being stabbed to death in the front of the, in the, front of the area where the right. audience was. Right. You know, and, and there was a free-flowing amount of LSD in that place, and it got totally out of control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's another instance where you could look at it as a microcosm of, well, were they experimenting with releasing LSD into confined spaces into mm-hmm. large groups of people, you know, and what happened? Well, in this case, this guy was killed 
And and they actually there's like two films of the guy actually being killed. Wow. Trippy brother. But again, you know, this this podcast, you know, what we like to do is to take a subject, mm-hmm. kind of inform you about the subject so you can go do some more research. But then it's really about the connections. Because I mean you if you look at it, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty odd that you have an M, an, an actual MK Ultra program, Midnight Climax, running a brothel mm-hmm. in two places in the Bay Area, Marin and San Francisco. They're right. like ten minutes apart. Okay. You've got Ultra Experiments in Vacaville, right? You've got mm-hmm. all these secret listening posts everywhere. You've got Electronic harassment in Davis, which is about an hour away. Right. Right. Less to Vacaville, but you've got right. electronic harassment. You've got secret secret transmitters dotting all over out there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, you've got this like conjunction of secrecy here. And, right. And let's not and Jim Jones and Anton Lavey mm-hmm. and oh right right you know and the, Michael Aquino Michael Aquino and you know mm-hmm. the Presidio and you know you've got all the this like conjunctions of weirdness mm-hmm. that center here right and for some reason in SRI and Livermore and Berkeley and you know Moffitt and you know Alameda Naval Air Travis Air Force Base Travis Air Force Base and you know you've got all these we had tr- two dry docks, you know, Treasure Island. You've got all this, the Oakland Army Depot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're even the we're even the site of the General Bay Area. We're the site of the only modern mutiny that ever occurred in the in the, uh, the U.S. Navy at the during World War II out of Port Chicago. So you uh-huh. know, you've got this like conjunction of like secrecy, Beale. You know, up mm-hmm. in Sacramento, you know, we had an Air Material Command base where they used to fix. F-111s, and right next to that, you had a strategic air command base that had nuclear weapons and B-52s. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've got SR-71s, U-2s, B-52s. I mean, it's all, you got the whole thing. We had right. Fort Ord down the road a couple a couple hours down the road. You got Fort Ord mm-hmm. and the 7th Light Infantry. I mean, it, the whole area is like right. a hot, hotbed of military secrecy. You know, and, and you're not going to hear that on the another podcast. They're they're going to tell you for 45 minutes. Okay, this is Operation Midnight Climax. You know what? Mm-hmm. You can Google Midnight Climax. The the more right. important part is is that you've got Midnight Climax, an LSD manufacturing center. Well, you've mm-hmm. got two Midnight Climaxes, LSD manufacturing center. You've got Vacaville and Livermore, and that's all in the M and SRI. Exactly. You know, and, and remote viewing down at SRI, you've mm-hmm. got all this in an arc. Mm-hmm. It's literally an arc. It forms an arc. Exactly. Right. right. That's what we're about. We're about the connections. This is mm-hmm. this is you know James Burke James Burke's connections mm-hmm. conspiracy style. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Sydney Gottlieb for. You know, all your hard work for the CIA and getting Operation Midnight Climax on the map. Yes, documenting uh, documenting uh, BDSM and, and uh, figuring out how to, how to make honeypot traps and right. documenting people's sexual desires and urges. On well, the- it was weird that Sidney's, that's not even his real name. He changed his name. It's kind of weird. His real name? Did you you know what his real name is? I have no idea. Joseph Scheider. Weird, huh? Like Roy Scheider. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, he's a Hungarian Jewish guy, but uh, why did he change his name? Hmm. Another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Crazy right. times. Well, that's another thrilling fifty-eight minutes of the paranoia podcast uh thank you for joining us on our exciting adventure into topics of the conspiratorial Mm -hmm. ron thank you for joining me i really enjoyed it actually it was really good because uh you know you're bringing up different places like davis and sri and we were talking about lawrence livermore and it's like we're putting you had some information i had some information we were putting it all together and uh actually made some sense i think i think so too 
Hey, uh, it's plug time. Plug time, plug time. Alrighty. Uh, Contact in the desert, Ron? Yeah, that's going to be June 3rd and 6th. Uh, So the Ground Zero gang and Clyde Lewis will be down there. And uh, then we're also going to be at the UFO Festival in Roswell, New Mexico uh, at the end of uh, June, I believe, to uh, July 3rd. Oh, and... uh, I'll bring this up more in our next podcast, but uh, on July 5th, we're going to have a very big event. We're hoping to have it at OMSI, which is sort of like the uh, science museum here in uh, Portland. And uh, we're going to have Clyde Lewis go through micro wormholes. So Clyde is going to enter a micro wormhole. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Um, yeah. So we'll talk more about it next week. But uh, there's going to hopefully be a TV crew there, and we're going to be uh, reporting it. It's going to be one of the most outrageous things of all time, I think, on radio and on TV. Right on. Yeah. Well, I want to say hello to Podcastica, my favorite Doctor <laughs> Who podcast. Those guys rock, and they're big supporters and. And really? just awesome guys. What do they do? What are they, what are they all about? They're all about Doctor Who. But you know what's interesting is that we've been having a Twitter exchange uh-huh. uh, because one of the guys, Taylor, um, he's really interested in mm-hmm. uh, number stations. Right. And he found a very odd Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And so they he, they've been working to try to track this Twitter account down to see what it's actually up to because it's it's sending out some very strange messages. Mm-hmm. So more on that soon, but obviously a big shout out to those guys. Uh, Gramerica, those guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. Other Gramerica guys, Mandate Thirty Three. They're gonna have uh, they're gonna have some articles in our new issue of Paranoia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Dyer's gonna have a awesome article on Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, that guy is hot, man. Hot. He is hot. Hot. Burning. Burning on fire. Tim Schwartz has a. Uh, article about alien sex alien sex i cannot wait midnight climax okay i cannot wait to read that uh Mighty. as no. long as it's all like uh sourced validated verified i'm fine with it yeah okay sure um i i am currently researching um some stuff that i'm gonna put in there cool yeah, and, you know, just lots of stuff. Big shout-out to Mr. Lobo, who does our intro and outro. Thank uh, you, Mr. Lobo. I love you forever. OSI74.com. Yes. Uh, check out check out Utopia Fantastica. Uh, I helped to create that show, and it's pretty pretty goddamn awesome. Yeah. Uh, big shout I've never seen it. I've never seen it. You need to see it. Okay. And, and I also need to send a personal uh, welcome and... Um, you're my Atlantean brother to uh, yes. Baron Otto von Schirach. Otto von Schirach. Otto von Schirach. He is one of the best bass DJs in the world. Oh, really? Yes. Man, he's like multi-talented, that guy. Yeah. Otto von Schirach is pretty pretty damn awesome, and he makes really awesome videos. I know. It's just Superman. It's kind of like I watch him, and I'm just going, man, was it? It's like a, being on a natural trip. You don't even have to take LSD. Just watch it, and you're tripping out. Seriously. It's true. Supermang, he did that at the Coral Castle. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in uh, um, Bizarre Transmissions from the Bermuda Triangle is where you can find that. Yeah. Yeah, those guys, uh, Buddha, <laughs> Gonzalez, and uh, wow. It's just it's so weird. It really is. But it's great. It's good stuff. Bizarre Transmissions is wild. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's it's wild. I'm in there too, brother. <laughs> I love that show, man. I know. I love bizarre transmissions from the Bermuda Triangle. It's crazy. Everybody should watch it at least three times. <laughs> All right. Well, that that is another thrilling episode. Uh, and uh, don't forget, wherever you are, there is where you will be. <laughs> is that true? Is it really true? Actually, it comes from Buckaroo Banzai. It's wherever you go, there you are. Ah, uh, okay. Come on, i well, got to make some sort of geeky uh, thing here. Come I know. on. Well, on that note, everybody, take good care and keep the faith.
All right, keep it real, everybody. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com. We are resuming control. For now. <laughs>